This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. This is going to be the venue for the Pursuing His Presence Life Zone. Uh, over the weekend, so if you're going to be here for all three sessions, that's great. If you're dipping into this one and some others, then we still love you. That's okay as well. Um, but we're really excited as to what God's going to do in our time together over these three mornings. Got an exciting lineup of different speakers and some contributions that uh, people are going to bring. But most of all, we want to encounter God, don't we? I guess that's why you're here, particularly at a life zone that we're calling Pursuing His Presence. We want to pursue God and uh, hear from Him afresh and uh, receive all that He has for us. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to all that God wants to do uh, over these th- uh, three mornings. So well done for being here. Thank you for being with us. And um, this morning, uh, Andy Robinson, uh, Andy and Hazel, and our good friends from Life Spring in Horsham, and uh, I've asked Andy to kick off the series, really, and uh, he's going to uh, take and lead us through this morning. Uh, we've got Jared Cooper with us tomorrow morning, so uh, he's speaking tonight in the main venue, and then uh, I persuaded him to stay over and to speak in here tomorrow morning. So that'd be really good. Uh, and then uh, Joe and Paul, also from Horsham. Joe, you're speaking on Sunday, aren't you? Yes, Sunday. I've lost all track of days. You know what it's like when you sort of in the middle of something. I think we're. In, I'm just in. You know, day one, whatever that's, whatever that's called. I believe it's Friday. So I'm going to pray, and uh, then we can welcome Andy uh, as he comes to speak. Father, we thank you that we have the awesome privilege of coming to you and calling you Father, and we thank you that your desire over this weekend, in fact, always your desire is to meet with us afresh and to reveal more of your love and your goodness to us and we pray that in this track over these three sessions in our time together that we would encounter you again and that lord as we talk about pursuing your presence we want to pursue you lord we want to hear your voice be obedient to what you're saying and want to grow in you so we pray god use this time use these days together that we might grow in you and you might encounter us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome Andy as he comes. Thank you. Great, wonderful. It's brilliant to be here and uh, it's uh, great to see you all here as well. For those who don't know um, who I am, my name's Andy. As Graham said, I, I lead the eldership team uh, at Lifespring in Horsham. And although I've been speaking at Devoted for several years, this is in many ways our first year. Uh, and the reason it's our first year is, is before now, I've always been what I call intersphering. Um, but this year, we're actually here as part of the Christ Central family. So we've joined uh, the sphere. So it's very uh, exciting and very different for us to be here, uh, but it's great. Um, this is Hazel, my wife down here, my long-suffering wife. Uh, and uh, we've got two sons uh, who are in their kind of mid-twenties, early-twenties, uh, Tom and Eddie. Uh, last year, uh, they both decided it would be fun to get married within seven weeks of each other, um, which was uh, most exciting uh, and stressful, uh, particularly for Hazel, who obviously had to find two dresses and two of everything, whereas I just got the same suit out and wore that. Um, 
but uh, it's great. So we're, uh, we're just in, enjoying or life. Well, if we thought it was going to be an empty nest, we should be empty nesters at this point. And they all got married and left home. And then Eddie and Chloe decided they wanted to buy a house and their lease was running out on their rented accommodation. So guess where they went in the interim? Yes, back home, rent free somehow. Who agreed that? I've no idea. Uh, but on the upside, they did just announce recently that we're going to be grandparents. So um, I'm not old enough to be a grandpa, I've decided. Uh, I'm not quite sure what was going on. I expressed my displeasure to my father and he just went, as he's now going to be, he feels too old to be a great grandpa. So, so there we are. So uh, that's us. Um, as I say, for, for uh, employment, I'm privileged to be uh, paid by the church uh, to lead the eldership team there and uh, as I said just this this year we've just enjoyed joining the Christ Central family which is is great. Um, As a church we're really passionate about many things but one uh, of the things that we are really really passionate about is is the presence of God and pursuing God's presence and you know it's easy to get excited by all sorts of things. I can get excited by motorbikes, uh, I can get excited by motorbikes um, (laughs) and uh, adventure holidays on motorbikes. Um, I can get excited by all sorts of different things, but the reality is, is the one thing that, that keeps us going, it makes us who we are, is an unswerving passion for the presence of God. Um, you know, we, we know that verse uh, in Exodus, Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with me, then don't take us up from here. We're not, we're not going anywhere uh, unless you're coming with us. And, um, you, you know, that, that is, he cut us in half, that's what's inside. We just want, we want his presence or, or bust. Um, you know, we want to only be doing what God's doing, saying what God's saying, going where God's saying to go. And, and when he says to stay, we have to stay as well. Often we think about pursuing God's presence as, as going somewhere else. But sometimes th- there's a sense of God staying, and so you stay. Um, because that's where his presence is. Um, and of course, there's always the challenge of when he, he leads us where we don't want to go. Um, and it's staying passionate for his presence even when you get led to places you'd rather not be. And uh, that's certainly been our story over the past few years. We've been led through uh, a season we really didn't want. Um, but uh, God is always good. And uh, I'd rather be where I don't want to be, but where his presence is than where I want to be without him. And so that is, you know, that is, is our, our passion. Um, and, um, you know, if we're going to be passionate for the things of God, passionate for the presence of God, then we're going to need the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit, not just a little bit. We need a lot. We need all of him and more. Um, and, and uh, you know, I became a Christian when I was 12. Uh, my parents, uh, a Christian's dad, sort of uh, was a leader in the church for all of my memorable life. Um, and my mum led me to the Lord in our lounge, uh, age 12. But at 16, um, I, I met a guy through my parents called Alec Buchanan uh, from York. And uh, then that was where Alec Buchanan laid hands on me and, and I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. Um, and nothing was ever quite the same after that. So at 16, I left our Baptist church that my dad was one of the leaders in to move to a, a, a house church, so-called. Um, and it was there where I just grew in this passion for the presence of God, a passion for the things of the Spirit. I was 
you know, brushing shoulders with people that had been thrown out of churches uh, because they were passionate about God's presence and pursuing the Holy Spirit. And so as, as I was with those people, I've learned what it is to fight for the things of the Spirit and to, to be immovable on those things and not to, to give ground to common thought or, or sort of cultural understandings, but to hold fast to the things of the Spirit. And I, I still fight for those things today. I'm passionate about it. And uh, it's great to surround yourself with people who are like that as well. And as you meet our team, people like Dave and Rosie who've been thrown out of churches. No, I mean, I'm, in the way I've just explained, not just... Not recently, anyway, as far as I know. Um, uh, and and it, it's... it's it's who we are. It's what, it's what we're about. And we need to pursue that, that continuing passion for him and, and to not let things slide. And, you know, one of the things I've talked about a lot when I've been at Devoted before is closing what I call the theology gap, which is the gap between what you believe and what you experience, the distance between what, what your theology says and what you expect to happen. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's really important. There are things that we believe laying on of hands for healing of the, the sick. But, but do we really believe that to the point of it actually changing our expectation and our experience and our, our willingness? Do we believe it enough to overcome our fear of doing those things? And, and it's important that, that we really press in for those things and not just get caught up in, in maybe sometimes things that don't happen the way we think they should and so therefore we, we ease back. I remember a, a friend of mine telling me a story that uh, she had with her young children where it was a parenting moment, you know, and you just suddenly got this parenting moment and, and her son was sick and so uh, she said to uh, her daughter who was five years old, said, look, what should we, let's pray to Jesus or should we call the doctor? And the five-year-old said, let's call the doctor, be quicker. <laughs> Funny, but actually, how often do we kind of feel like that? We, we let that kind of creep into our, to our thinking. Um, and so, you know, as I was thinking about closing that theology gap, uh, for this devoted, it suddenly dawned on me that it would be really good to have a solid theology in which to determine if there is, in fact, a gap. And sometimes we can get caught up in pursuing the presence of God and all of the, the gifts of the Spirit and, and all of the what, what I might call fireworks you know, of the Spirit. We love the prophetic. We love words of knowledge. We love all of that stuff. And, and it's brilliant. And I, and I love doing it. I love being part of it. All of those things. But what we mustn't do is just do them because it's important that we understand why. Why is it that those things are important? Why is the Holy Spirit important to us? Why is baptism in the Spirit something that we must fight for all the time in our churches and not assume that people are baptised in the Spirit? We need to be giving opportunity, explaining it, praying for people. And that's what we're going to do um, today. Um, uh, but I think it's important that we establish a really good theological uh, basis for why we believe what we believe and sometimes we forget we just it's so normal if you've grown up in new frontiers churches for example it's just kind of the norm it, 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 you don't question it it's just is 
And so, but why? Why do we think those things? And that's really kind of what I want to do this morning. And then we got uh, some opportunity for some Q&A. So we'll take some questions if you've got them. We've got Dave and Rosie here, Graham here, Hayes here, myself, just to kind of answer any questions that you might have. And then we want to do as John Wimmer would say and get on and do the stuff. Um, so is that okay with you guys? Great, wonderful. So let me just first of all say that we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, he is a, a person, and I know we kind of know that, but he's, he, he's not a force. Sometimes we, you know, like in Star Wars, you know, it, there's that sense of, it, 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 we talk about it, it's just like he's a, he's a force. It's this, may the force be with you. Um, in, in that sense, he's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I know we theologically probably get that, but do we think of him as a person? Uh, do we kind of interact with him as a person? And, and uh, I know, you know, I have on occasion kind of, you know, said, and, and you talk about it when the Holy Spirit comes into the, to the room, that, that there's been an atmosphere shift. And I get quite up, people get quite upset with me for, for saying that because they tell me, look, the Holy Spirit's not an atmosphere, Andy. He's a person. And they're absolutely right. But let me, let me make you think about something for a minute. Have you ever been to a party... And everything's going great until that person walks in the room. You know the one I mean? That person walks in and in an instant, you can cut the atmosphere with a knife. We've all done it. We've all said it. You know, you're talking to your friend. Oh, man, it was terrible. You know, and then that person walked in and you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. So that's why I believe the Holy Spirit is a person and that's why I can believe there's an atmosphere shift when he comes into the room because people change atmospheres when they come into the room for good or for bad but we, we all know that we'd all use that language and so I expect things to change when the Holy Spirit comes into the room but he, he is a person we need to, we need to remember that um, he's a person he manifests the presence of God he, he points us to Jesus. He empowers us to do the things that Jesus did, and he empowers us to do all the things that Jesus told us to go and do. You know, Jesus is with us, and he's in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is manifest amongst us by the Holy Spirit, and if we're going to live lives worthy of our calling, if we're going to do all that Jesus called us to do, then I can't see how we can do that without the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and not just a little bit either. We, we, need, we, need, we need everything. Uh, and, um, you know, the most natural place for us to, if we're going to look at this and not just talk about it, we're actually going to ground it, the most natural place for us to look is the book of Acts. Um, and so hopefully you've got your Bibles either in the real sense of a, a paged Bible or something on your phone or tablet or, you know, uh, you know Graham's got the original text there. Dave's, Dave's got scrolls down there somewhere. Um, and uh, it's, uh, he asked me to bring them along with his cloak uh, earlier on. So, uh, so <laughs> oh, I'm in so much trouble now. Right, quickly moving on. Okay, but, you know, the book of Acts comes, as you all know, after the Gospels, you know, and the, the Gospels document the life of Jesus. And, and something to remember, obviously, about the Gospels is, is that they look forward to, they anticipate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was promised. 
Okay, and the refrain in the Gospels that you'll see is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's the kind of the refrain of the Gospels. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. They anticipate the coming of the Holy Spirit. The epistles, the letters, the stuff that's written after the book of Acts, um, they, they look back to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They all assume, uh, those epistles and the books afterwards, that they all assume that the Holy Spirit has already come upon believers. There is that assumption. They assume, as, as they do with water baptism, that every believer will have been baptised in the Spirit. Okay, so the, 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 the Gospels look forward towards the pouring out of the Spirit and the epistles, everything afterwards, look back towards it, assuming that every believer has had it. Um, and if that's the case, then we need to look at the book of Acts to tell us what the when and the how of the baptism of the Spirit. Okay? So that's why we're going to be looking in the book of Acts. And so if we, if we will focus everything around that, but let's start by looking at Jesus' instruction to the disciples regarding Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit in Acts 1, 4 to 8. So we'll start um, right at the beginning of Acts. And while uh, staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It's not for you to know times or seasons, but the father, that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem uh, and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it's a, it's a passage we'll all be very familiar with. But, you know, one of the things to remember is, is that, you know, we live life around buzzwords, terminology, don't we? Just in every day, there's, there's buzzwords, there's phrases that we, we use. Um, and, uh, you know, in New Frontiers, we have buzzwords and phrases like, let's unpack that. Yeah, or I'm just coming into land when we're trying to lull you into a false sense of security that we're going to finish our sermon. Okay, um, but there's terminology, and you all kind of know what I mean by that. So if I was to say, okay, God, I'm just coming into land, you would understand what that means. You would understand that I'm beginning to close the sermon, that I'm beginning to summarise what's happening and we're going to end. You understand, but it's a buzz phrase. But, but that phrase contains all of that information. But I just use that short phrase to exp- and you know what I mean by that. And the New Testament is like that. The Bible is like that. When Jesus talks, he uses those kind of phrases that would mean more to the hearer than is necessarily contained in those words, in exactly the same way as when I say I'm coming into land. Okay? Except Jesus would obviously have been telling the truth. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that is what happens. Now, the disadvantages for those outside of the culture wouldn't necessarily understand always what those, what those phrases mean. But the advantage is, is that you can communicate a lot through saying very little. Okay, and so that's, that's where that, that happens. And so the terminology that Jesus uses about the Holy Spirit coming and that we're reading in this, this passage wouldn't be unfamiliar to the disciples. It wouldn't have been unfamiliar to the Jews. Um, 
Uh, and for those of you that have read the Old Testament, um, there will be many times when you come a- across the phrase in relation to the Holy Spirit that says, come upon. The Holy Spirit came upon. He rested upon. That's the phrase they use in relation to the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's the phrase that Jesus uses here. Um, and uh, we see that phrase or phrases like it in many places, but there are some notable ones that I'd like us to look at because I want you to be, this to be grounded in what the Bible says. Okay, so Numbers 11, uh, 25. Um, and then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses and he took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them or came upon them, they prophesied, but they didn't continue doing it. Okay, so there's that, that phrase there, came upon. Okay, it's, it's loaded with, with the spirit coming on. Gideon in Judges six thirty four, it says, so the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Samson in Judges fourteen six, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So can you see this? This phrase, coming upon David in 1 Samuel 16 and 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of, uh, of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Okay, so we've got this, this phrase that would have been established through kind of Jewish history, through their scriptures, that they would have understood what that meant when the Holy Spirit came upon people. And so when Jesus used that phrase to say that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, uh, it would have been very familiar terminology that Jesus was using. The disciples would have understood what that meant, what was coming. Um, and, um, you know, th- they not only would have understood, but there would have been some observational understanding as well. So when Jesus was baptised... It says that the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. They would have, they would have seen that. Um, and, you know, as you would, would uh, read on, you know, as God spoke even, you know, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, they would have seen the Holy Spirit come upon him. So you see this phrase that Jesus is using that has all of that history packed into it. So for us, we think, oh, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But for them, that would have had all of that history packed into that simple, simple phrase. You know, so this term, the Spirit came upon, is one that they would have been very, very familiar with. So when when Jesus said that, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, they would have have understood all of that being packed into that little phrase. Um, And so... Jesus used that language to explain, to give him some sort of a clue. And you see this in Peter's confidence when he, when he preaches. It, it, once Pentecost has come, he says, Men of Israel, these aren't drunk as you suppose, because he knew what the Holy Spirit coming upon could look like. Because of all that history in ter- that was there's in that phrase. So our terminology today for this phrase coming upon we use baptism in the spirit in the same way okay now it did, jesus did say there you'll be baptized in the spirit okay and and it's not used like that phrase all the way through the bible but that's that's the sense of what we're bringing when we use that phrase baptized in the spirit 
It, it, it's got all of that history wrapped up in it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's this thing of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, being baptized in the Spirit. It's that, that same sense. Now, I want to let you know that there is some contention out there in Christendom about this so-called baptism in the Spirit because, you know, it's becoming quite popular at the moment that, that they say that there, there isn't like a, a second or a subsequent filling of the Spirit, but it all happens at conversion. Okay, that's becoming quite uh, uh, like common and very kind of in vogue kind of thinking um, right now. Um, and it all happened at conversion. And, you know, we know that when we're, we're born again, we have to be born of the Spirit. So we know it can't happen without the Holy Spirit to be born again. Jesus taught this clearly. Our salvation has to be a work of the Spirit. But is that it? So do you get everything at the point of conversion? Is there this one-time baptism and filling of the Spirit? Does it happen all at conversion? And uh, one of my scholarly heroes, Mr. John Stott, uh, would be one of those in, in that camp, unfortunately, I think Mr. Stott, in my very humble opinion, is very, very wrong. Um, and I know this because I think the Bible shows us completely the opposite. Okay? I think the Bible shows us something different. And if we take a, a quick skim through the book of Acts, which we're going to do right now, we'll see what's in there. So I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you that I'm right and he's wrong, because you know, he, he is an incredibly godly, wonderful theologian, so, so helpful. But we don't have the whole truth. You know, God gives his truth to, to the church. And uh, I think on this one, there, there's something we can, we can look at differently. So let's have a quick skim through the book of Acts. Um, remember that the, the book of Acts is the how-to element. The Gospels are looking forward to it. The epistles are looking back towards it. Um, because the epistles believe that baptism by immersion in water and the Holy Spirit, they assume that that's, t that's taken place for many believers. Um, so um, they speak often, if you, you read those, like it's a done deal as you read those epistles. Um, so let's look at Acts to see how we can work that out in what, what the how-to of the baptism of the Spirit. So a very quick Bible study. If you're taking notes, I'll give you the passages, but you can all look them up in your own time. So first one in Acts 8, verses 4 to 25, is Philip in Samaria. As I say, I'm not going to read it, but in verse 4, you know, it was after Pentecost, Philip travels to Samaria and he preaches the gospel and he speaks and he demonstrates with power, verse 6, and they become Christians and are baptized in water, verse 12. And it, it says, now when the apostles heard this, they went to go and check it out. And if you look in verse 15, it says they went and laid hands on them because the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. So they've not received a baptism of the Spirit. It's that same language that, that Jesus was using to describe Pentecost. The, the, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. And as we, we read in verse 17, it says they laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. That was clearly a second encounter. Because they believed and were believers when Philip preached the gospel to them. And then they had a subsequent encounter when the apostles came and laid hands on them. So it, it, it wasn't all in one go at conversion. It was clearly something additional. Think of the apostle Paul. Acts 9. 
And you read the story of his conversion. On, on the Damascus road, Saul met Jesus um, and the risen Jesus and, and, and Paul becomes a Christian. And we know this because when Ananias came to him, and you can read it in verse 17, he calls him Brother Paul. Ananias clearly accepts Paul as a, as a converted believer and that, at that point. Um, so Paul's converted on the Damascus Road and then later on he's prayed for by Ananias who lays his hand on him and is, is then clearly healed of blindness and he receives the Holy Spirit. Again, a subsequent encounter. Um, and I think that's significant for us to, to see that with Paul. Um, now, because in the, in the New Testament, believers were usually baptized in water immediately after they were saved, baptism in the Spirit is usually an event that took place after baptism in water, um, but only because baptism in water was much more immediate in Acts. There wasn't like baptismal classes to go on and uh, all of that kind of stuff. That's a conversation for another day. Um, But the example shows that baptism in water isn't an imperative for baptism in the Spirit because Paul was converted and then he received the Spirit and then he was baptized. Okay? So um, I'm just putting it out there. Okay, so that's two examples. We go to a third, Cornelius. The story of Cornelius. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. We read that in Acts, 1, uh, Acts 10, 1 to 4. He was a Christian, a believer, a devout man who feared God. But it wasn't until verse 44 when Peter arrives and he speaks and the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's what it says, that they came upon them. So already a believer, but the Holy Spirit came on them. Um, and his testimony was that he didn't get it all at salvation. He received the baptism of the Spirit after his conversion. Okay, now we'll jump again to Acts 19, the Ephesians. And this is Paul saying, you did not receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. So Paul's happy that they're saved. He's accepted the fact that they've believed. He's happy that they've been saved. Um, But their response was that they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so we read that they're they're baptized in water and then Paul lays hands on them in verse 6 and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was a subsequent uh, uh, encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, And and it it just goes to show that you don't get it all at conversion. Now, you could. It can happen. So I'm not saying it can't happen. That Obviously, you can have two events that happen at the same time, but they're still two events. It doesn't mean they're one event. It just happens at the same time. But um, it wasn't the testimony of, of most that we read here. Um, it, it's clearly a separate and a different encounter to the Holy Spirit salvation encounter. It's, it's something separate to it. Um, another one of my scholarly heroes, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, and uh, he says this in response to the notion that baptism of the Spirit is fully received at conversion. Uh, and he is a big hero of mine. This is what he says, got it all. Well, if you've got it all, I simply ask, in the name of God, why are you as you are? (laughs) If you've got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? Got it all? Got it all at conversion? Well, where is it, I ask? Now, those of you that know me will know that's why I love 
the doctor, because he's very straight talking, says it how it is. But, but that's the reality, is, is if you get it all, then where, where is it? Where is the evidence of that encounter? And that's what he's suggesting. He's suggesting that if, if you've been baptized in the Spirit, then there will be evidence of that fact. And the fact that you can say, well, where is it? Is saying, I'm not seeing any evidence. So th- there's something wrong with this picture. So let's go back and look at the examples that I've just given you in terms of receiving a subsequent encounter, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and see what the evidence was. So if we go back to look at the, the Samaritan's evidence, and in that passage, actually, there, there isn't a, a direct uh, a statement in terms of the evidence. He doesn't say what it was. But what we do know is Simon the sorcerer saw something. He recognized something and decided that he wanted it. And you all know the story. So whilst that passage doesn't explicitly tell us what the evidence was, it is very, very clear that there was clearly evidence of some kind. With Paul, when he encountered the Holy Spirit, we know that the evidence was evangelism, was boldness. And there's, there's masses of, of evidence, you know, in terms of gifts of the Spirit with Paul. He, we know he says, you know, I speak in tongues more than, more than all of you. You know, so it, there, there's clear evidence of his encounter with the Holy Spirit. If we look at Cornelius um, and, and uh, what happens there when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, Acts 10:44 says, "While Peter was still saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gifts of the Holy Spirit were poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So there was evidence of them speaking in tongues. There were gifts of the Spirit. It was evident that the Spirit had come on them. When we look at the Ephesians, uh, again, we read this, there's, there's, uh, they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So, in summary, in terms of that evidence, what we've got is we've got those clear encounters, separate encounters with the Holy Spirit that we call baptism in the Spirit. And each one, at Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. Cornelius, his household, they spoke in tongues. The Ephesians spoke in tongues and prophesied. The Samaritans evident something, although we don't know quite what it was. And we know that Paul spoke in tongues and there were other evidences uh, with Paul everywhere, weren't there? But, so there's, there's plenty of evidence and, and for me this is pretty conclusive that there will be evidence if we're baptized in the spirit there will be evidence and the facts here from what I can see it would be wouldn't be an unreasonable assumption to say that speaking in tongues will be one of those evidences now I wouldn't subscribe to the view Uh, that some Pentecostals might take as to say you must speak in tongues as being the only evidence of being baptised in the Spirit. I couldn't subscribe to to, to that kind of notion. If you don't speak in tongues, then you're not baptised in the the Spirit. Um, The Bible doesn't give us that assurance, but there will be evidence for sure. Um, And we cannot say unequivocally, unequivocally it must be tongues, 
but I think the, the, the suggestion, the, the, the evidence, the weight of evidence in, in the scriptures is that tongues is certainly part of that. But as is the case with the Ephesians, they prophesied. So there was, there was evidence of, of that baptism in the Spirit. And that was also the case when, in the Old Testament when the Spirit came upon the elders uh, with Moses. That they, they prophesied. There was evidence. Um, and so what I can say is if there isn't any evidence, then you're not baptised in the Spirit. Um, I think we can say that the Bible tells us that. Um, there's no requirement for it to be tongues, but in all likelihood, more often than not, tongues will be part of the evidence. Um, I don't subscribe either to the fact that you have to tarry and, and wait um, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. There's no evidence other than Pentecost, that, that when Jesus said, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I think we, we read here that often the Holy Spirit came through the laying on of hands. Um, there wasn't any evidence of that kind of tarrying, but there was evidence of, much evidence of laying hands on and the Holy Spirit coming um, as a result of that. Um, you know, we don't find Paul saying to the Ephesians, oh, well, you, you haven't been baptised in the Spirit, you know, go and find a, an upper room somewhere and, and cry out to God. He, he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Um, and, you know, that, that's what the Bible tells us, that these gifts are for all of us, for everyone, um, and those who are far off. So, hopefully with that kind of evidence, we've got to ask ourselves the question, why then do I want to be baptised in the Spirit? Why do I need to be? Um, what, you know, if it's a subsequent event, why, why do I need to kind of go after it? Um, and it's a good question. Um, and after all, you, you, you have as a believer a measure of the Holy Spirit. We need that for salvation. Um, we can't be born again without it. Um, and, you know, we might ask the question, well, why do I want to do it? Because actually, you may even know people who've not been baptized in the Spirit and seem to be doing okay. You know? Um, and so why do I need it? Equally, you may know some people who have been baptized in the Spirit and they're bonkers. And so why would you want to do that either? And that's a fair point, I think, you know. But people are weird. I'm just putting it out there, you know. And you know that already because you go to church. And so you know people are weird. I mean, obviously, you know, other people, not, not you. Um, you know, and probably not even your church. It's probably the church down the road. But you, you know what I mean. But what we don't want to do ever is let other people are not your barometer of God. Other people are not the signpost to what God wants for us. They're not a signpost for what he has for us. The only one we can look to for how we need to be living as a Christian on this earth is Jesus. He's the one. It's his example that sets the barometer for what we pursue. Not whether someone's getting by without it or whether someone's just totally bonkers and goes around barking like a dog and you know, everybody's happy or not. That isn't the barometer. It's what, what did Jesus say? And Jesus showed us what a redeemed person in the power of the Holy Spirit could do. You know, everything Jesus did while he was on earth, he did as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though he was fully God and fully man, I believe everything he did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, not everyone would agree with me on that, and that's okay. That's fine. But from my perspective, in what I see and what I understand, I see that Jesus did everything as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because then when he says to us, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than those shall he do, because I'm going to the Father. And he said if he goes to the Father and he's glorified, then the Holy Spirit will come. And it may be because I'm not smart enough to work out which ones, if he did do miracles as God, I, I, I don't know if I'm smart enough to work out which ones he did as God and which one he did as a man. And so uh, how do I know? How do I work that? I don't know. I just think that that was Jesus' example was, was for us. to be able to, It's not prescriptive, okay? And by that I mean, just because Jesus walked on water doesn't mean I can demand to walk on water. Okay? Just because Jesus turned water into wine doesn't mean I can demand to turn water into wine. Okay? It's not prescriptive like that. What it is, is that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And so what's prescriptive is, if I'm going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, then that's what I do. I, I do what I see the Father doing. So I don't, I don't demand to do exactly the same that, things that Jesus did unless I see the Father doing them. Okay? So we need to be really careful that we're not just, well, Jesus did it, so therefore I can do it. You can do it if that's what the Father says for you to do. But you can't demand it just because you feel like it, particularly when you're walking down the water aisle in Tesco's. You know. Okay? Is that, is that clear? Do you get that? You're on that. Okay, it's a really important point. Okay, it's a really important point. And there's a lot of thinking out there that's, well, Jesus did it so I can do it. And yes, if he clearly said do it, he said lay hands on the sick, they'll be healed, we do it. You know, but there are other miracles that he, he didn't say we, we could do. I believe we can, but we can't demand it. We can't, I just feel the Holy Spirit sitting on this. Okay, we can't demand it just because we, we saw Jesus do it. It's what, he only did what he saw the Father doing. That we can ask. That we can ask for, okay? You don't sound very convinced. I'm really convinced. It's fine. Good. Okay? So, um, so Jesus said to his disciples, didn't he, I'm going to go to the Father. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come. Once I'm glorified, the Holy Spirit will come. And he has. He's been glorified. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus expects us as believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and this, you know, this can't refer to a measure of the Spirit we receive at salvation. He's referring to an infilling of the Spirit, which comes as a result of Jesus being glorified. It comes uh, uh, as the Spirit comes on us for power to enable us to do the things that Jesus has commissioned us to do and, and demonstrated the way we should do it. Um, and Jesus at his baptism had the Holy Spirit fall on him. We, we talked about that earlier. And we read that he then went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then when he came out to begin his ministry, we read this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit. Why do I need to be filled with the Spirit? Because we can't do what Jesus has called us to do without Holy Spirit. And we certainly can't do it the way he told us to do it. You see, we might be able to 
do the commission the way we think we should do it, in which case we might not need the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to do it the way he said for us to do it, then we need the Holy Spirit because you know, he taught us to bring the kingdom through demonstration and declaration. That's what he, that was the methodology that he's given us to do. And uh, Hudson Taylor said this, depend on it, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And I do wonder sometimes why God's provision can seem absent. You ever felt like that? And... Uh, And I think often it can be absent because we're trying to do his work our way. But God doesn't promise provision in that context. It's his will done his way will never lack his supply. And we're called to make disciples of all nations his way by bringing the kingdom as Jesus did. And he did it with power. And if we're going to do it in power as well, then we need the Holy Spirit. Um, And uh, as I've said... You know, this gift is for every Christian. It's for, it's for everyone. And uh, every man, every woman, every boy, and every, every girl, every single one of us needs it. Um, and as you look through the, the scriptures, you know, obviously they were believers that received the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, you need to be a believer. You know, you have to want it. I know that seems simplistic, but, but there's this sense of desiring it, of pursuing it, um, and pursuing that, that, that power that the Holy Spirit brings us. Um, you need to be really thirsty. Um, and that's what Jesus talks about in terms of, come to me, all who kind of labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You know, we need to be thirsty for the Holy Spirit. And so once we've done some Q&A uh, in, in a little while, we, we, we want to be able to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized in the Spirit, then we would love to kind of pray for you, lay hands on you, um, and for you to receive the Holy Spirit. I would say, as well, is, is you may have been prayed for for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you know there's no evidence. If that's the case, you've probably not been baptised in the Holy Spirit. And it's okay to say that. We don't do failure very well. You know, it's okay to say that. It's okay to say, you know, I've been prayed for the baptism in the Holy Spirit and there's no evidence. That's okay. The worst possible outcome is for you to be prayed for the Holy Spirit. There'd be no evidence you not be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you, you kind of accept that you have been, and then you never do anything about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Much better to just say, do you know what? Uh, nothing happened. Then that's okay. It's absolutely okay. You know, there will be um, those of you that have been prayed for for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, We'd love to pray for you as well because there's more. You know, there's more evidences, there's more gifts than you're currently experiencing and we'd love to pray for you as well, okay? So we, we would love to, to uh, just see people living in the fullness um, of the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, but I think it's important to recognize where are we at and just be authentic with yourself, you know? Is there evidence? Can I see it? Um, Terry says in his book, The Spirit-Filled Church, in the New Testament, people were not vaguely aware of the Spirit. Either they'd received him or they had not. When the Spirit came on them, they knew about it and so did everyone else present. 
Um, and so, you know, we'd love to pray with you. If, you. if you've been baptized in the Spirit and there's evidence, that's great. But if you don't speak in tongues, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. Um, because I just think tongues is just such an amazing uh, gift, you know, mu- in multiple ways. In multiple ways. Um, you know, that, that Paul wants us, he encourages us all that, you know, I wish everyone would speak in tongues. Okay? And yes, that you, that you prophesy, but that doesn't then discount tongues. It's not saying, well, I prophesy, so that's all right. I don't need the tongues. You do, you do need tongues because Paul talks about it edifying the inner man. Okay? It is, it is, you know, we speak things that we don't really understand. When you can't express yourself, the, the, the spirit in you is communing with the Spirit of God. And there's that, that sense of it builds you up, it edifies you, the Bible says. It's a wonderful gift to help us when you're feeling blue. It's, it's a wonderful gift when you're feeling down. You know, God, it builds you up from the inside out. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful gift to you and, and a wonderful gift to the church when it comes with, with interpretation as well. And again, I would encourage you, go after that. We see it modelled here. We want to see tongues interpretation as regularly as we see prophecy and stuff on Sundays. It's an important gift for the church as well, but it's an important gift for you. And, you know, if you don't speak in tongues but you're baptized in the Spirit. You know, I would just you know, appeal to the goodness of God. This gift is there for your edification. And he's a good, good father. He's a really good father. And he promises he won't give us a rock if we ask for bread. You know? And uh, we, can, we can say, God, you've given this gift for your children to build them up. And I really, I want to appeal to your goodness. We're not begging him for it. We're just appealing to his character as a good, as a good father. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really important that we, we ground what we're talking about in, in Scripture, that we understand that this isn't just, you know, we're new frontiers and that's kind of what we do. Now, this is, this is what the New Testament tells us. It's what, it's what the whole gambit of Scripture points us towards as well. Not, not the only thing, but we see it through Scripture that the Holy Spirit came upon, came upon, came upon. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it was for specific people at a specific time, and then the Holy Spirit lifted off them. But now Jesus has come. He's been glorified. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to all of us, and he remains on us and in us. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and that is why we're so passionate about it. That's why we mustn't, you know, uh, just assume that people are baptized in the Spirit in our churches. We mustn't assume those things. If you're on ministry teams and people are coming forward for prayer, ask them. Don't be embarrassed to say, have you been baptized in the Spirit? You know, it's okay. If they go, yeah, you go, great, let's get some more, you know. Um, but if they haven't, you know, it's like that. Oh, I didn't even know there was a baptism in the spirit and game on game on this is great okay so that's why it's really important that we ground all these things and as we go through the rest of this these seminars over the next couple of days you know jared is an amazing guy amazing man of the spirit um i love him dearly outside our stream which is why i love him dearly because he challenges all our norms uh which is brilliant graham and i got to know him over the last i don't know how many years after reading one of his books um, but he, he's an amazing man of the Spirit, and you will see demonstrations. You'll see what it's like to see evidences. But actually, it's really important that we recognize 
what our theology is and then maybe tomorrow we'll see how big the gap is. Okay? But that's what we need. If there's a gap, we need to see where our theology is and, and, and where the evidence is and then work out how do we get across the gap. Um, and Joe will help us with that uh, on, the, on the Sunday. But it's really important that we ground this well. This isn't just faddy. This isn't just, yeah, well, we're kind of charismatic, so we kind of, you know, have to do it. It's, it's, it's just who we are because it's who the people of God are. Does that sound good? Wonderful. Well, I'm going to, I don't know how much longer we've got, um, but it'd be good to take some questions if anybody has any. Great. I get, I mean, many reasons, I guess, in, in some ways, in the same way as we're told to lay hands on the sick and they'll be made well. Um, and I don't know about you, but my track record isn't anywhere near 100% um, at all. So I think there's lots of, lots of different, different reasons. Sometimes, you know, I was talking about if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Um, and so I wonder sometimes if, if, if people think, well, I, I should you know, I, I, I feel I should, it almost it's like, it's, it's the law for us as New Frontiers to be baptised, so I should, so rather than a, a thirst, a hunger after him, it, it's more of a, we'll tick the box and, and on to the next thing. I would imagine that there's a million answers to that question. Any of the team, Graham, Dave, got any thoughts on why they might not? Big key is faith. Yeah. Um, Stand up, Dave. Yeah. A, a, a big key is faith. So you receive the Spirit by faith, not by feeling. So if the Word of God has said it, when you ask, you will receive. I think we are wired because of other people's testimonies to assume that we've got to receive in the way yeah. that we see other people receiving. Um, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, so being thirsty for the Spirit... So thirst, faith, and actually receiving the Spirit, there comes a point where you ask. Yeah. You remember the story of when um, uh, the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment? Was there any virtue in the garment? No, there wasn't. But there was a point where she let her faith go. Mm. It was like, when that happens, I will be healed. And that is an important aspect of how faith right. works. Yeah. So there comes that critical point where you say, now. Mm. And Jesus always does it. Now, it's got nothing to do with how you feel. If you ask, you'll receive. Some people get a great whoosh of feeling and emotion and everything, and they speak in tongues. Others think... You know, God's going to make me speak in tongues. He's not, <laughs> you are not his ventriloquist doll. Yeah. Okay, he doesn't put his hand up your back and, you know, you do this and out comes, you have a tongue and you speak yes. in tongues. That's really good, Dave. And it's, it's actually not 
as difficult as it sounds. That's very good. And that's very true in terms of speaking. You have to engage your vocal cords, your diaphragm. You have to pass air because that's how we speak. And you, you have to do that. And Terry Virgo once said, it's very profound, he said, you, you, you don't speak in tongues because you don't speak in tongues. Yeah, you don't speak in tongues because you don't speak in tongues. It's that sense of you, you, you've got you've to go for it, no matter how crazy sometimes it sounds to you. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of you are parents here. I see there's a new baby over there, and I'm sure there's people here with children of every different age. And I would really recommend being able to pray in tongues when you have all sorts of moments during your parenting in the middle of the night when you just haven't got any strength left and baby's crying and you don't know what to do. Um, the terrible twos, the troublesome threes, and then the teenage bit when they're monosyllabic yeah. and yeah. you don't know how to do it. And then there's all this stuff that you've got to cope with now with gender and sexuality and you haven't got a clue what you're going to be able to do. I really suggest you learn about praying in tongues and use that and pray in tongues until the peace comes so you react to the situation in peace, not out of all the angst that you're feeling. Yeah, very good, Rosie. That's great. That's wonderful. Well done. I was, I was once asked, when, when do they grow out of the, the terrible twos? I, I, I'll let them know. Um, I'm not quite sure when that happens. Mine are 24 and 22, but we'll... I'll, I'll keep you posted. Um, any, other, any other questions? Um, okay, so the question is, uh, when you speak in tongues, is, is it uh, an interpre- interpretation as well as speaking in tongues, or is it, is it one and the same? Is it both? Do you have to do both? Uh, the answer is no, I don't think you do. Um, you know, I speak in tongues, it's my spirit communing with God. I think if it's publicly, so if you bring a tongue publicly, then yes, there needs to be an interpretation. And my understanding is, is that you know, that would be Godward, because it's my spirit it's speaking to God. Um, and that the Bible says that we're, you know, we're to seek God for an interpretation. Now, quite often it can be, be someone else. But I think if, if we bring a tongue, it's, it's our responsibility to see that interpretation through if, if that doesn't happen. Um, but Dave's a master at uh, interpreting tongues. So if you've got anything you want to add. It's important to, dr- to draw a distinction between the gift of tongues, yes. which is exercised in a meeting like this, a body of people together, a body of people. Uh, of people, so that would be the 1 Corinthians um, uh, 12, where the list of the gifts of gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation of tongues. When that happens, it is a language that is brought in a meeting, and the person who brings that language, the onus is on them to interpret it. Because if you speak in a tongue in that way, Paul says, "Pray that you will in." interpret yeah so the onus is on that person to interpret but if you know there is somebody else in the meeting who has the gift yeah. of interpretation you wait and see if they will interpret so it it works that that that's the way that works that is different 
from the prayer language yeah. that you are given for your own devotional life. And that is the kind of thing that Rosie was talking about, where your spirit actually communicates with God in words that you can't utter. So in Romans 8, for instance, where it talks about the spirit making intercession through us with groanings that can't be uttered. If you really unpack that verse in depth, there is the suggestion there that that can be in tongues. So there can be tongues of intercession. So the, it, it is a, a Godward expression, but it's also a crying out to God. But a third thing about tongues, which we can miss, is that it can be a language that hasn't been learned. Yeah. So, so I was in a situation once where I was praying for somebody, and um, she was Dutch, and I didn't know. And her husband said to me, I didn't know you could speak in Dutch. And I said, I can't. He said, well, you've just been praying for my wife in perfect Dutch. So... There is that aspect yes. of the language yeah. as well. And that does happen. And yeah. that's where it is a supernatural sign. So three things about tongues. Great. That's great. Any more for any more before we start praying? Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a great question. So that that whole kind of sense of I want to pursue God, but uh, and I want the gifts of the Spirit, but am I going after them because for my own benefit or for God to prove He's real or, or or whatever it is, rather than just pursuing Him for being for being Him? But you know, we're we're eager to eagerly desire the gifts Paul says to us doesn't he so there's there is a sense of that's okay I think we'll stray if we're not careful into the whole area of of identity who we are as sons and daughters and where we where we get our value so we do need to be careful that we're not we're not looking to you know if I can if I can prophesy then then there'll be a sense of acceptance and and value that I will have within the church or within the body or whether that's tongues interpreter or anything you know gift of healing anything that, that that if we're eagerly desiring them because actually there's a void in us that actually should be being filled by by our heavenly father then that's always dangerous if you like whatever it is so we'll, we'll stray into that to that territory but yeah it's always good to to check our motives but we're, Paul's quite clear about pursuing the gifts yeah yep I, I, any, anybody else want to answer that one before I do? I'm happy to, but I don't want to hog the mic. I don't think it has to be either or. I think it yeah. both ends. I think there's a, a laying on of hands in terms of baptism in the spirit. Uh, that seems to be biblical, so I tend to go for that. Um, but in terms of it, like you say, in a meeting, where you're just like, God, would you come and you know, let's stand and receive or come forward, both ends. 
my own experience personally, often there is something that happens in the moment as I walk from my seat to the front. It's not that I get to the magic carpet at the front, but it's like a, some steps of faith are taking place in my heart. So actually, that, for me, that's sometimes quite helpful because I'm positioning myself saying, God, I want to receive from you. Mm. But equally, I think to go for it in a meeting, go, let's just, just, let's just receive God where we are. John Wimber used to be great at that. You know, for those of you who are old enough to remember maybe some John Wimber conferences back in the day, you know, he'd just sit on the stage, go, come Holy Spirit, and God would just break out, you know, all over the room. Mm. You know, it was remarkable. No band, no hype, no coming forward, no hands, just God coming. Mm. And often that would be how he worked through him, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so I think we need to go for that and go for the mm. moments of, I think probably baptism in the spirit initially, often that is a laying on of hands thing. And I think it's sometimes helpful how people come forward for that. It's not, not I'm positioning myself for this now. But mm. in terms of receiving the spirit in our meetings, like, God, would you come? Let's, I think both ends mm. would be my. Yeah. 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 I'm household of Cornelius, Peter preaches, the Holy Spirit comes. Yeah. But I'm Samaria, Acts eight. The apostles came up from Jerusalem and laid hands. It's it's both. Yeah. And, and know, God is sovereign. Yeah, exactly right. Um and you know, that we don't want to be prescriptive. But we do want to understand, don't we? You know, and uh, it, it, I mean, God won't be boxed in, but we do like to try. Um, and so he, you know, he, he will he will come as he will come. And there are stories I'm sure you've heard of, you know, people being in their bedroom and just being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, you know, <laughs> nobody else around. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's it's all of it. It's all of it. God will God will do it. Um, yes. Okay, so uh, you're not entirely sure someone's saved, but speaking in tongues, baptised in the Spirit. Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Satan can counterfeit tongues. Mm. And um, there can... I, I mean, a child who is not a Christian, any child, can just speak gibberish. Um... And um, I think it would be very, very, very unusual for somebody to just, not as a Christian, speak in a language. It would be very, very unusual. And, um, I mean, the the basis of speaking in tongues, it's an outflow of the Holy Spirit. But Satan can counterfeit that. Spiritists speak in tongues. there is a, a counterfeit to the gift, and that's why it's very important that there is a clear understanding of salvation and repentance and forgiveness and new life in Christ, so that it is an outflow. He is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So that, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, people can imitate children can imitate they hear tongues and christian children can do that um and we should not kind of bonk them on the head and say you know naughty you shouldn't be doing that um because that's not going to help them but um 
there comes that point where it is a genuine experience. I'm, you know, I've seen that with my children growing up in a Christian home, and um, it, it's, it's important just to let them be mm. kids. Mm. So there is a human aspect mm. to, you know, we, we are incredibly complicated psychological, spiritual, emotional <laughs> beings and our words, our tongues and our brain, it's all connected. So, yeah, things can mm. come out. But genuine speaking in tongues comes from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great answer, Dave. And I think as well, you know, just to, God is, he doesn't measure things the way we measure them. Uh, and so sometimes we can, you know, we can think, well, you know, they're probably, probably not saved but God does know the heart as well and so it's 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 all, all of that it, it you know if it was easy we'd all be doing it all right so it's it is one of those sometimes we just have to we have to ask the Holy Spirit help me here what is this help me but then we want the gift of discernment you know which is another evidence of the Holy Spirit it, and, a, and a powerful one we don't talk about it too much but actually that gift of discernment uh, that you know dis- determines like spirit from spirit and, and, and those things. It's important that we, we do that. Now, I'm going to just land here, genuinely. And you all know what I mean by that now. Um, okay, we, but I think uh, we want to have time to, to pray for people. We want to be able to release you as well to collect children and do all the things that you need to do. But uh, we'd love to pray for people. If you've not been baptized in the spirit, uh, you, 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 know, you, you, you want to pray in tongues or you want different gifts to the ones you've got, um, anything like that. You just, want, you just need a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've got the, the team from uh, Livestream are here and uh, Graham's here. So please come and, come and uh, receive prayer. Let me just pray for us before we go. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you uh, don't leave us as orphans, that you sent Jesus, that we might be saved and forgiven become children of God and that Jesus because you died and rose again and ascended to the Father that you sent the Holy Spirit that we might know you, know him, know the Father that we might experience the presence of our Father because of the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit we love you we love you we love that you show us Jesus we love that you point us to the Father we, we love that you lead us and guide us we love that you empower us for all that Jesus has commanded us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, lay hands on the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Thank you, Jesus, that you not only called us to do those things, but you've equipped us to do those things by the person of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you, come and have your way amongst us now whether we stay or whether we go whether we receive prayer whether we are the ones praying whether we're just enjoying your presence holy spirit i pray would you have your way amongst us amongst our churches for your namesake amen amen wonderful thank you so much for your time graham is there anything else you need to to add great wonderful feel free to stay come forward for prayer go do whatever you need to do but thanks so much for joining us